Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey folks, I am super excited to tell you a bit about today's new sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, MMC hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, O'Teal Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available. Spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com moods to learn more. Osiris. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media and made possible thanks to our Patreon community. To support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash Alex Skolnick. From Brooklyn, New York, this is Moods and Modes. I'm your host, Alex Skolnick. I'm probably best known as a professional guitarist. I'm also a writer, a photographer, and someone who occasionally gets told to keep his opinions to himself on Twitter. This podcast will involve music and guitar, but it may take us to some unexpected places as well. So, thank you for joining me, and let's do this. Hey everybody, Moods and Modes episode 38. This is Alex, and you are listening to the hauntingly beautiful sounds of Jim Campolongo playing his Telecaster. Let's take another listen. Now, Jim Campolongo is somebody I've wanted to speak to on this podcast for a very long time. In fact, he was one of the very first guests I had in mind. It's taken us a while to get this together, but I'm so glad we did. We had a really great conversation. We spoke for a long time. I'm not going to go on for too long in this intro uh, because there's so much and so much about Jim comes up in the interview. 
I will say this, Jim's playing does share some characteristics with the late, great Jeff Beck, who, of course, was the subject of our previous episode where we paid tribute. Now, Jim and I had this conversation in January, about two weeks before news broke of Jeff Beck's passing. So if it sounds like we're talking about him like he's still alive, it's because he is at that point. Now, one of the things that their playing has in common is uh, the searching for as many natural sounds out of the guitar as possible without relying on effects. Uh, The music does not have a lot in common. Uh, Jeff Beck at different times could be categorized as hard rock, blues rock, fusion. Um, Jim's music is not easy to categorize, which I think is always a good thing. And how it sounds depends on what song of his you happen to hear and in what context and configuration you happen to catch him. Let me start with a list of musical categories that do not apply to Jim Campolongo. Heavy metal, R&B, adult contemporary, hip-hop, techno, grunge, mainstream pop. I could probably go on and on. And while words like Western swing and Americana are sometimes applied to Jim's playing in reviews, I think one of the best descriptions came from The New Yorker in 2014, an article called A Master of the Telecaster at the Living Room, which is a venue in New York. The journalist, by the way, is Paul Ellie. Quote, It sounded like the way I expected it to sound, like the early history of the Telecaster roaming through the territory of CBGB, country, bluegrass, and blues, on the way to rock and roll. On the other, it sounded like nothing and nobody else. Sounded like Jim Campolongo, I guess. Now, there are two more things that Jim shares in common with our mutual and now fallen hero, Jeff Beck. One of them is the influence of the late, great Roy Buchanan, one of the most influential yet underappreciated Telecaster players of all time. This will come up in our conversation. And then one final common thread that I noticed between Jim and Jeff Beck is not being a fan of perfection. Jim's music sounds very live. Squeaks, noises, imperfections, that's all part of the character. And it's so refreshing, especially in our current environment of music where everything is overly perfected to a fault. It is so nice to have somebody flying the flag for getting things as right as you can between yourself and the band before you go in the studio, but not sacrificing any of the feel for the sake of sounding perfect. So one final thing I'll add, Uh, Jim does not act like some might expect a monster guitarist and such a widely respected player to act. He's quite humble. Uh, he's very funny. There's a few times during this conversation where I crack up. Jim has a very observational sense of humor. There's an almost Seinfeld-like quality to his stories, ones that can only be told by somebody who has gone on television to play for millions of people, only to find himself performing at an upscale dining establishment a short time later, playing guitar during Sunday brunch while indifferent patrons discuss the latest episode of Sex in the City while chomping on omelets and sipping Bloody Marys. 
Yet any absurdities of having a life in music, something many of us can relate to, uh, have not affected Jim's dedication to his art. He remains fiercely devoted to the guitar and plays uh, on the West Coast and the East Coast. He recently relocated back to Northern California. I wasn't aware of this. Uh, that's something we have in common. We're both originally from the San Francisco Bay Area and left for New York. He's a different generation than me, so we didn't know each other as well then. We know each other better now. Anyway, it is so great to finally get him on Moods and Modes. Here, without further ado, is one more quick clip followed by my conversation with the one and only Jim Campbell. It was great to dive into your records again, and I've, I've heard a lot of the stuff, but it's nice to be reminded, and uh, such cool stuff. I was looking at you in the photo, and it was when we all uh, congregated in front of the 55 bar. Yes, I recognize it. I have it, too. I don't uh -huh. know if you could see it. That's it right there. Right yeah, there. I see it. <laughs> uh -huh. Nice. Yeah, it's a great photo. Such a great photo. So meaningful now, especially since it closed. But anyway, yeah, and uh, I, I remember, oh, God, I don't know how long it was, maybe 18 years ago, you had me the honor of playing your birthday party at the uh, Knitting Factory on Leonard Street. Oh, that's right. Sort of the early days of my time in New York and just playing around. It just, yeah. Like 2004 or something, maybe. I think so. Yeah, and it's it's such an interesting uh, trajectory because I knew you from the Bay Area, and I remember you playing the Paradise Lounge, you know, which is this rock club. Uh -huh. But you you were you kind of had this niche, you know, instrumental Western swing uh, gig that happened every week, and some friends of mine would tell me about it. And we would go see you. And it was so cool. It was just so different than everything that was happening there. And I was kind of going through this period of just, you know, wanting to get, needing to get away from the Bay Area, sort of period of reinvention. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd been the guy known as, you know, the guy from the band Testament, but I really was trying to get my other sides of my music together. And I was just, um, I think about to make that leave, just to leave the Bay Area. And then I was so surprised to find out that you had done the same thing. And I forget if you came to New York before I did. I think you did. But it was really roughly around the same time, the same period of a few years. So, yeah, yeah, it was 2002. And, I mean, I didn't really think about it. I just kind of followed my intuition. I mean, I felt like I had hit a ceiling here a little bit in the, you know, uh, San Francisco and um, like New York, I wanted uh, being there during 9-11 really uh, mm -hmm. uh, was a strange experience. I mean, mm -hmm. in that I, I came back and all I did was want to go back to New York um, mm. and kind of lucked out, you know, hooked up with Dan Reeser and Tim Lenzel and um, audiences there. Uh, I felt like didn't 
um, pigeonhole me into anything. Like, I mean, out here it was a little more like Big Sandy and the Fly Right Boys and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, rockabilly bands where the guy stands on his upright. And Oh, yes, and- yes, I remember. I, I remember um, the, the Red Hot Skillet Liquors. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that was Rockabilly, but I just re- I remember that was one of those names. Yeah, they were they were good too. Very good. Everybody was good, but it was like very like easy. Like it, it fell into a category, and I don't think my music ever has or did even then. You know, I mean, right? Uh, it was kind of like Jimmy Bryant, Speedy West, or whatever. And I went there, and it was like. I don't know. People didn't try and pigeonhole it. And I really like that. And I think I, I lucked out a little because of it. I mean, anyway, but here I am back on the West coast, you know? So, yeah, I was surprised to hear that. So, uh, was this a long time in the planning or was this kind of spur of the moment was this pandemic influenced as it's been for a lot of people. A lot, a lot of folks have gotten out because of the last couple of years. Yeah, I guess, I don't really know, Alex. I wish, I mean, I've thought about it a lot. Um, it was, uh, the pandemic certainly had something to do with it um, mm. in that, uh, you know, I kind of got off the hamster wheel a little bit mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of was reevaluating. I mean, how could you not reevaluate when you're basically literally writing out your will. Okay. Oh, yeah. you know, like, yes. I mean, you were in New York during COVID. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a thousand people yeah. are dying. Trump is saying uh, by Easter, <laughs> everything will be fine. And then yeah, I, go I away just, like a miracle. <laughs> I, yeah. I would just wait for Andrew Cuomo to come on a television and give me some facts. Like, and I know. was afraid to go get mail in a four minute. It's, it's okay. not funny, but it's like funny in an absurd way now. Cause I yeah. did the same thing. I was like, yeah, when's the Cuomo press conference? You know, it was like our, our savior. And especially in light of, his, you know, fall from quick fall from grace ever since then. But yeah, I understand. Yeah. I feel, I feel bad about that. Like, I mean, he, he just wasn't like a, a daddy figure, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. Giuliani was during nine 11. I mean, but the guy was, would state facts and, mm-hmm. um, and, and there were, there was an absence of information. Oh, those were, I thought those were brilliant. Those were brilliant press conferences. You're, yeah, you're they totally were. right. And Giuliani hasn't made out much better. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> Giuliani hasn't fared well. I mean, we don't want to get political here, but uh, you know, I mean, in my opinion, our opinion, uh, Giuliani yes. has fared well with his hair dye leaking down his oh face. Oh my god! Yeah, but yeah. anyway. But um, yeah, but I understand what you're saying. At that time, yeah, it looks bleak, and it just seemed to be like a disaster movie. And none of, right? We were in one of like the worst places to be in the world. It was Napoli, Italy, and then it was New York. Like the, the last, right? And right. Wuhan, like the three places you wouldn't want to be. Yeah. Well, so it's hard to discern, like, well, what you know influenced my decision, but 
Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I have a house here. I rented it. Um, it was paid for. I mm-hmm. thought about it a lot during COVID, like that it had a backyard and, mm-hmm. um, and my family and my mother. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I would come here once, twice a year and like the ease of it is stupendous. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to like uh, Trader Joe's and there's like three people shopping and like <laughs> five uh, uh, people at the cash register. And you're like, wow. Right, right. So some of the ease of it. Um, so anyway, uh, I was talking to a friend, uh, uh, Kiara Chavella. I don't know if you remember. She was in New York for a while. She's actually like well-known in Italy. And I went there and recorded with her a couple of, about three years ago. And uh, I was talking to her and I was just, I mean, I was in New York playing gigs. And, but I said, you know, all I really think about is like painting my house, the inside, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like this weird fantasy I have. And she Mm -hmm. said, well, why don't you do that? Hmm. And I was like, well, you know, there's so many great musicians here in New York and I'm in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, you can do it. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like she gave me permission. Mm -hmm. Like, and that was March of 2022, this year, and uh, oh, pretty recently, compared. Oh yeah, comparatively. Uh, I mean, I had a pack. Um, I was in my apartment for 20 years because I was there for mm-hmm. 20 years, as you've been, maybe 21. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, the same place. Yeah, same place. Mm. And uh-huh. so, you know, it was a, it was one of the most arduous things I've ever done. Like moving there was way easier than moving back. And uh, so here I am. I had a West Coast tour planned in December with my New York band. And that went great. That happened a couple weeks ago. Um, Awesome. And uh, we played Freight and Salvage. I was going to say I saw photos from the Freight and Salvage. Awesome. Nice. I haven't seen any, uh, but... um, (laughs) Anyway, so that went really well, and I'm going back to New York in March to record with the Fortet and do a few gigs. In uh-huh. the end of April, I'm going to go to Argentina and play a couple of gigs. And I mean, in the, taking it from your question, which maybe I over-answered, uh-huh. from no, the bleakness of COVID, like uh-huh. basically just watching Breaking Bad and making banana yeah. bread, you know? Right, right. <laughs> Hey, I'm playing New York in March. Meanwhile, I'm doing house stuff. I'm actually, things have slowed down to where I'm like really practicing in a way I haven't in a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it feels really good. Like no regrets yet, you know. Um, Good, good. So, I mean, you know, and it's great to be here. This is like, you know, this room's the most finished room. It's my little guitar room. And, oh, cool. Yeah, it's nice. And, you know, they're they're retiling the kitchen and all this other stuff that's boring and real Susie homemaker. But it's really nice. No, it's so interesting because going through your tunes again and um, just li- listen, listening to you and being reminded of how cool the music is. If somebody played me your songs and didn't tell me who you were, I didn't know your name, I didn't know anything about you and just played me the music. 
the last place I would guess that you're based would be either California, San Francisco Bay Area, or New York. I would say this guy is probably from Nashville, Austin, maybe Atlanta. Did you ever think about being in one of those places, or do you think maybe it's helped that you've stood out more because what you've done is so different from what anybody else is doing in New York or the Bay Area? Yeah, I mean, as far as the country thing, like, I really love country music, and um, I would actually like to play country music, um, if possible. Sorry. So you don't consider what you do country? I mean, not now. Uh, mm. You know, I could put on examples of, like, how not country it is, but I can't deny that that's a huge influence, and I don't think it's uh, inappropriate you make that connection. Mm-hmm. And it depends on which lineup yeah, you're playing I mean, with. Honey Fingers was kind of... Okay, Honey Fingers yeah. and then the 10-gallon cats is different. For sure. The tri- yeah. For sure. And like it's, yeah, I mean, though I kind of don't hear it and I think it's like I'm so close to it, I don't hear it. Because I mm-hmm. certainly don't play like Wes Montgomery, you know. Right. Um, but uh, a guy, Tim Lunsell, said a while back, you remember Tim? I don't think I know Tim. Tim Lenzel, yeah, he was like, you know, he passed away a couple of years ago, but we still always talk about him. He was a great character, a great player, like an amazing guy. Anyway, he got a sub for my gig once, and the sub was a little confused by, like, well, you know, I mean, just in a conscientious way. It wasn't like, Uh whoa, this is so heavy. So Tim said, yeah, it's kind of a jazz gig, and Jim's guitar is the singer. And uh, I kind of uh, thought, uh, uh, yeah, that's a pretty accurate description, you know, because I don't know about you, but every time I got into a cab or an Uber and I had my guitar, I mean, and the guy, driver's trying to be nice. He's like, so what kind of music do you play? And I just kind of like sigh and I think I really don't want to talk about music right now yeah. <laughs> like, or try to explain what I play. It's so, I, yeah, it's so hard. I, yeah. Know, it's like Bill for no, I say it's guitar music. And if mm-hmm. the guy pushes like, well, what, what does it sound like? I'll either go mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like Jeff Beck. Or if I really don't want to talk, I'll go, it's kind of like Bill Frizzell. And they never uh-huh. know who that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, often, like, I get that too. Yeah, it's, it can be so... Frustrating to describe. I wanted to answer too. I've been to Nashville a few times and like loved it. You know, like mm-hmm. loved the vibe there. I mean, you've been there. Like, it's yeah, like a great community. And like you, if you walk around with a guitar case, like we're talking, people are like, "Hey, do you have a gig tonight?" You know, like right. strangers, like they're enthused. Right. It isn't like in New York, like where you. It's more like. Oh, are you a narcissist who wants to be a beetle? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like New York. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. It depends which part of New York. Yeah. Because everybody, I mean, is almost a transplant there for work. So you're kind of yeah. judged by what you do. Sure. Um, but in Nashville, they're like real, almost naively and innocently into you playing music. And I really loved it, but 
I don't know, man. New York's a great city, really diverse. San Francisco, pretty smoking city. Like, it'd be a little hard to live in Nashville comparatively, comparatively. Right, yeah. right. Well, and, also, I mean, it's interesting because you, I could totally hear you being, you know, one of these weekly guys at, like, Robert's Western World on yeah. Broadway. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the the fact that you were you're in these other places really makes it stand out. I think, you know, you you stand out a lot more in San Francisco and Brooklyn because there's there's not as many people who play the the telecaster and you know kind of specialize in in the telly. True, true. Yeah, I mean I mean there's a lot of good guys now in Brooklyn, you know, Luca Benedetti and uh Right. Who's uh, on your uh you do have the duo recording with him. Yeah. yeah um, which is great. Yeah. And pardon the interruption, here's a quick sample of Jim and Luca Benedetti, their arrangement of Nat King Cole's classic Mona Lisa from their disc Two Guitars. <laughs> at Skinny Dennis and all that. Um, you know, there's like, compared to when I first went there, I was kind of, I think, the only game in town, at least that I knew of. But there's definitely some really good telly, telly guys. Uh, and I wanted, one guy's name is, I cannot think of it, just because I, I don't know, I'm losing my mind. But, um, <laughs> Maybe it'll come. Yeah, you know, I mean, I if I went to Nashville, it would probably be good. But that's the other thing, Alex, is I really don't want to play like once a week anymore. Mm -hmm. I did it for yeah. 18 you've, years. You've done it, yeah. For 18 a long time. Yeah. years I played once a week. Uh, and, yeah, you know, there's other gigs. I mean, it ranged from six times to 22 times a month. And yeah. right now, I mean, I'm not retired or anything, but I just wanted to like be special, you know. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, how often do you play? Yeah, well, it's different. I never really did the weekly gigs. I've had mm -hmm. a couple regular things. I actually played, we were talking about 9-11. I feel like when, yeah, when I really started to get my instrumental side together, I was playing regularly at a place called the Izzy Bar. But when 9-11 happened, that was in that, one, just barely in the area where everything shut down. Um, and then there was a, place detour that he used to play oh, yeah. often uh, remember that yes yeah yeah i like Which that great. place i played there with tim lunsell and dan reeser yeah and emmer booked that place and he booked me at the like park mm -hmm. avalon uh-huh like yeah for, like sunday brunch sorry if i interrupted but no that's okay so i was, I was doing the sunday brunch and like the money was pretty good you know whatever yeah and I got fired because I went to, I used to take like incredibly long breaks, like, <laughs> like an hour, you know, okay. at least. And one time I went to Trader Joe's on like uh, 14th and 3rd, you know, because it was by Union Square. Mm -hmm. And it was like the line started where the door was. 
Yeah. And so I, it took me like an, almost an hour and a half, like, you know, uh-huh. I, and I came back with like four bags of uh, Trader Joe's bags. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the manager was like, what are you doing? You have a gig. And I oh, me no. <laughs> he goes, you have a gig. And I'm there with totally busted. Hey, you got to do so, Trader, Trader Joe's, man. What can you say? I, you I, I, <laughs> So anyway, I got fired from that, but poor Andrew Emmer, I felt bad, like, but I pushed it, man. I yeah. mean, it was kind of like nobody paid any attention and you could like remember the bridge of take five or whatever. Right, you know, right. Like, it was kind of good for that, like, but anyway. Yeah, I, for reviews yeah. and stuff like that. I think I might have run into you at a, a brunch gig once. I was really surprised. I think I had relatives in town and we went to a place around Union Square. It might have been Blue Water Grill. Did you yeah, play there? Blue Water Grill. Yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I was in. The, I was with uh, relatives and just listening to the music. I'm like, these guys are really good. Excuse me, I'm going to go check out the band. And I, I'm like, Jim, <laughs> is that you? <laughs> but that's the yeah. thing in New York, you know. Every you, ever, you never know. Yep, you gotta. You never know who's playing where. You never know. I mean, I remember the one of the first times, like I played the Knitting Factory on Leonard. I mean, some guy came up to me and he goes, "Wow, you're really good. I really like your style." And I hate to admit this, but I assumed the guy couldn't play if he really liked me. <laughs> like you know, I thought. And he walked away, and I think Dan goes. Oh, that's, I forget the guy's name, but he goes, that's so-and-so. He plays in Steely Dan. Oh, ah, ah, and, ah. You know, another time, uh, Lou Reed mm-hmm. was at my gig. Really? And I walked him home. Wow. Yeah, that was a real high point, though. That didn't happen every week. That's a uh, great, all right, so which gig? That was at the, he would come to the Knitting Factory? I was playing, yeah, I mean, I guess it's not really that great a story, but I was playing, um, the living room on, uh, you know, the second location. Oh, in the Lower East Side? Lower East Side. And we played two sets. Mm -hmm. And so we did our first set. And usually, like, we do our first set and take a way too long break. Mm -hmm. And sometimes everyone would leave. Not everyone, but it would kind of thin out. And then we go in up to play our second set. And I look up and I see Lou Reed. You Mm -hmm. know, he's kind of unmistakable. Mm-hmm. And I think I heard, hey, Lou Reed's here. So I like kind of told the guys, I go, hey, look, Lou Reed's here. I go, wow, we are going to play a set for him. And so I played repeat songs, uh-huh. you know, from the first set. Yeah. Anyway, I thought we were pretty good. And he stayed the whole time. And then I went up to him afterwards and I walked him home. But I don't remember. That's amazing. What we talked about. Hmm. Yeah. Um, or I walked him to like Houston. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But that's pretty much it, you know. That's the thing. You didn't like that's incredible, though. The next, yeah, that was big. Yeah, I was just thinking, in New York, you never know what's going to happen. So you can be playing a small weekly gig, but yeah, you can have an encounter with a legend like Lou Reed. And meanwhile, you know, on your records, you have Nora Jones on some songs, who's who sounds great with you. And uh, did you play on? Yeah, I think you played with uh, with her 
at some point too. Right? Yeah, we made two records under the name Little Willies. That's right. Uh, because the original concept was uh, to just do all Willie Nelson tunes, mm -hmm. but we didn't do that. And uh, we made uh, a couple of records. It was really fun. And, you know, it was, I mean, at the time she had won the five Grammys and also we did Letterman and Conan a couple times. Oh, wow. Man, it was easy. Okay, so I want to play a quick sample of Jim playing with Nora Jones. Jim and Nora have an extensive history of collaborations. It includes the Little Willies, as you mentioned, and it goes back to some of Nora's best-known music. Now, that music of Nora Jones's is uh, still widely in circulation and controlled by major entertainment corporations. I've had this podcast almost three years. I've played samples of music. Haven't had any problems with the copyright police. Don't want to have any now. So I'm not going to play anything from a major label of Nora Jones with Jim, but I will play some of Jim's independently released album from 2010 called American Hips with Nora Jones. I don't think either of them will mind. When you play a gig, like, I don't know, I don't know what your experience is, but sometimes people don't know who you are or they've heard of you and they're hearing you for the first time. And, you know, you got to kind of win them over. Mm -hmm. And in the Little Willies, I mean, aside from Nora and Richard, Dan and Lee were great. Um, it was like just showing up. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, I mean, she, just that she was there, people were happy. Mm. Yeah, you I'll bet. it was easy. It was like that's amazing. Yeah, it will play. You know? That's yeah. So that's incredible. It's just incredible. You, you know, you can go from like these brunch gigs to Letterman. All it doesn't matter. It's just a get. You're you've always seemed like you're really just about the art. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm. You know, I I never really thought I was putting on a clown suit or anything. I mean, because. If I did like the Blue Water Grill, it was like I'd have to remember or relearn or learn 30 standards. Yes. You know, and that was where I'd do them. And if Richard Hammond was on bass or. I know uh, Richard. One of the many. Yeah. 
And I remember right. running into him fun. there as well. Yeah. I better be on top of my game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so it always felt around the same. I mean, actually, when I did Conan, I didn't really have to do anything different than if I played Skinny Dennis. Right. You know, right. I, I dress nicely. I put on a new set of strings. I practice, you know, and I think that's part of it. Uh, Luca Benedetti said something interesting a couple months back. Uh -huh. He said, like, being in New York as a musician is part inspiration and part humiliation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, because one day you could be playing with Nora and the next day. I mean, I literally, you know, no, played like with dudes from Pearl Jam. Really? And then the next night playing like in this like crappy bar like i flew back because i had a gig this is in the bay area and the guy was like giving me a bad time because my sound wasn't distorted enough on achy breaky heart oh my god that's amazing <laughs> the next day <laughs> wow yeah and i guess you know as a real artist you just you get used to that you don't know what it what it's going to be um well you try it Try and stay down the middle, uh -huh. you know, right? Yeah. Now, I heard a story. I don't know if this, this is true, but that there was a big pop gig that you were up for, and I, you got accepted for it, and then at the last minute, decided not to do it. And I'm going to let Jim answer that. On the other side of this break, we usually take a quick break on or around the half hour point. So there's just a few things to announce. First of all, if you're in the Los Angeles area and you hear this in time, I'll be back with my pal bassist Stu Ham, and uh, we'll be at the Baked Potato, the legendary Baked Potato, where we played in February. And it went so well that we had to do it again. So Wednesday, April 12th, which is right before NAM this year. So I think a lot of folks will be in town, even if they don't reside in L.A. Oh, and it's always a cool music scene when Stu and I played there. This last time we had artist here Farah from Struns and Farah there for the first set. Then in the second set, Tracy Guns from L.A. Guns and uh, a guy named Steve Vai. Some of you may have heard of so anyway, that should be a lot of fun. The trio is about to go into the studio. I'm really excited about that. I have a whole album written, and I wanted to get that done before things pick up with Testament, because Testament is uh, going to Latin America uh, for the month of April uh, after the NAM show and the gig with Stu. So those dates will be on the Testament website. And then uh, the trio will be back in New York City May 18th at the Cutting Room. So we hope you check that out. So let's get back to the interview with Jim. Now, when we left off, I was asking him about a story I'd heard that he had aced an audition with an artist that was really well known, especially at the time. This is the artist in question. Maybe you've heard this song. Uh, Chris Isaac. I, I, I think I had read that somewhere. Is that a true story? You know, it was back in the day here, like we're going back 25 years where mm -hmm. Chris Isaac and uh, 
Uh, what's that guy's name? It's, you know, the guy who sings like this. Tom Waits? You know, um, <laughs> Tom Waits. Um, Tom Waits and Chris Isaac were pretty much the only gig in town yeah, here. Sure. So um, I was up for the gig and I was like, hey, that's cool. I really like, you know, I saw like that, you know, uh, uh, Lynch movie. Right, David, and, the David you know, Lynch heard, movie. Right, with, uh, he had that huge hit. Jimmy Willsley, you know was playing guitar and it was really cool stuff. Wicked right? Game was the big hit. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, learn Wicked Games. And I was like, cool. So I like really tried, uh-huh. you know, and I learned Wicked Games and and uh, went there and, you know, I did pretty well. And he was like, hey, you want to come back? You know, and I go, yeah, I'll come back. And it was between, I think they had Herschel... Yakovich, I think, you know, I, I, I really don't mean any disrespect by mispronouncing his last name. Yeah. He's a great player. Yeah, I don't know. Him. And so there was going to be like a final uh-huh. and they wanted me to learn some new tunes. And I kind of didn't like the new tunes as much as I liked the uh, Wicked Game stuff. Uh-huh. And so I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I really want to do this. So I was like, hey, you know, it's all right. Like, I'm not going to come to the final with Herschel, yeah. who has been his guitarist for 25 years since. The- oh, wow. So that was meant to be. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, anyway, so Chris Isaac called me up and he was like, hey, how come you? I mean, I've never said this. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's been 25 years. Yeah, it's been long enough. He's like, so why do you want and I was like, oh, I just kind of want to do my own thing. But I didn't want to say, like, I don't know, the new songs are kind of... I'm not, I'm not feeling it, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not feeling your songs, Chris. Yeah. You know, I didn't say that. It was weird not wow. to be totally truthful, but yeah. I just kept repeating, yeah, I just want to do my own thing. And I did. Uh-huh. Like, the 10-gallon cats had just gotten together and fell into place. And so it was true, you know, but... Anyway, so Herschel got the gig, has done it for 25 years, great guitarist, mm-hmm. I hear is the world's nicest guy, and it's kind of like like he got it because I turned it down, and that is not true. Right. Like, my, in my opinion, he would have gotten it if I showed him. Yeah, he just, he's the right guy for the yeah, gig. Yeah, he was the right guy. Yeah. I wasn't, you yeah. know, and I... I and, but I got so much press, it was like turning down, you know, like. Oh yeah. <laughs> I understand what you know. It make it makes sense too, because it is restricting to do something like that, and uh, it kind of got you on the path of do, doing yeah, doing your own thing. You know, who knows? I mean, I I remember hearing Roy Buchanan turn down the Rolling Stones. That's right. You ever hear that? I sure did. Yeah. That's bullshit. He made that up. No, really? Yeah. yeah. That at least in the book I read about him. Um, and I thought that was really cool. That got so much press. Yeah. Yeah. He said uh, something to the effect, I paraphrase, like, well, I didn't know the songs and I didn't want to learn them. Uh-huh. Like, I thought that was so cool. Wow. <laughs> you know, like ethical or yeah. something. But I read in the book that he made that up. He used to make some stuff up. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of music business stories. I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. Because uh-huh. I always believed that. But I've heard so many stories like that that turned out to be not true that it doesn't surprise me that that's not true. <laughs>
you kind of want them to be true. Yes, yeah. Let's just say it's true. Yeah. So uh, he's a big influence, right? Yeah. I would think because I, I noticed you have a couple songs that his name is referenced. Um, I mean, even before I played, I liked Ray Buchanan. I had a Ray, you know, I saw the PBS special and really thought it was great. And uh, I always really liked his sound. And then I went to go see him live probably like 20 times mm, wow. and really learned a lot. I was talking about this the other day. Gosh, I can't remember to who, mm-hmm. um, but it was at a time. Oh, I did a clinic. Uh-huh. right, And it was at a time where it was pre-YouTube. Mm. And I think you might be old enough to remember before YouTube. I, it was just amazing. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> someone playing. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it was amazing. Yeah. Like, you'd go, whoa, I'm seeing this guy who I've heard on a record playing in front of me. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I kind of learned some stuff from him, uh, just you know, a little behind the nut bending and just how he did his uh, tone and volume stuff. And I always liked his sound. I mean, I feel like he, his first two records are the ones that I still go to. Uh, it's Roy Buchanan, Roy Buchanan. Yep. It's got a black cover, really nice photo. And no, then Roy Buchanan's album is good. Okay. This warrants a quick interruption. So Roy Buchanan is a name that is not only brought up almost exclusively in guitar circles, but only exclusive guitar circles. Uh, You don't hear his name very much anymore. This is despite the fact that Jeff Beck dedicated Because We've Ended His Lovers to Roy Buchanan. Because We've Ended His Lovers, the song we spoke about so much during the Jeff Beck episode. If you look at the album artwork, it is dedicated to one Roy Buchanan. Now, how is it that Roy Buchanan had fans that included great guitarists like Jeff Beck going all the way back to the early 70s or ones who came along later, like my friend Jim here, yet uh, still remains largely unappreciated? Well, I have a couple theories about why that is. I think one of the reasons his music didn't reach a wider audience is it was largely instrumental, and he was doing instrumental guitar music before Jeff Beck was, but he didn't have Jeff Beck's template of extremely melodic music that could catch on to a wider audience. Now, he did sing a bit. He would bring in some vocalists here and there, but it was largely instrumental music that sounded like it could have vocals, and it kind of fit this bar band template. Like, imagine a great bar band with an unbelievable guitar player but it still felt like a bar band and i think that's part of it yet guitarists took notice jeff beck certainly took notice especially the way roy would get so many sounds out of a guitar um, naturally without effects so let's just hear a little bit of a clip from roy buchanan's second album which uh, jim was mentioning before After that, it got a little commercial for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always liked it when he was really versatile. Mm-hmm. You know, on the first record, he does Hey, Hey, Good Looking by Hank Williams yep. and stuff like that. I saw him live once and he played Nightlife by uh, uh, 
the Willie Nelson tune that Ray Price did with Buddy Emmons. Uh-huh. And it was amazing. Like mm. he was playing jazz mm. and yeah, it was really great, you know, but when it was kind of like, dung, dunk, dung, dunk, dung, dunk, dung, dunk, 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 when he'd kind of shred over it, like I lost, I, that wasn't why I was a fan. Right. Right. You know, uh, even though, you know, some of my sound and approach is more like that than, uh, you know, Eric Clapton or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And those were the guys that were finding their way to me at the time. Yeah. You know, uh, right? Yeah, he's an interesting one. What were you listening to? Well, it's funny. It's very, very different. I, you know, I, I was, I actually, I wanted to ask you about this because I, I was, you know, part of, you know, this whole, the Van Halen revolution, I guess you could say. Right. And I got, you know, I got, I finally, by my late teens, early 20s, I realized how much music there was beyond that. But I mean, to me, you know, when growing up, it was, and learning guitar, it was, you know, Van Halen, Randy Rhodes with Ozzy Osbourne, uh, guys mm-hmm. they'd listen to, Richie Blackmore, uh, even though I didn't like a lot of the glam hard rock coming out of LA, there were some great guitar players. The oh, guitarist yeah. for Rat was great. Warren DiMartini, guitarist for um, Dokken, George Lynch. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I mean, that at the original Scorpions guitarist, Uli Roth, the UFO guitarist, and Scorpions guitarist, Michael Schenker. Yeah, but the bar was so high, you know? Yeah. And I. And everybody I grew up with was listening to that. But I thought it was so, it was really interesting to, to meet you for the, the first time because you're like coming from such a different place. It's true. And not that it sounds like any one person, but yeah, certainly Roy Buchanan. I hear some Les Paul yeah. you're playing. I don't know if he's an influence as well, but. Um, for sure, thanks. Yeah, Chet Atkins, Speedy Bryant, you know, nobody I knew was listening to any of those people. And I discovered them later. So I guess. Yeah, my question would be how how did you take that path, and how did you avoid the other thing? Well, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Like I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation because I think I, I know I'm older than you. Mm-hmm. So when Randy Rhodes happened and Van Halen, and I remember where I was when I heard Eruption. Yeah, we all I do. Mean, <laughs> it was. You know, if you're older, like, where were you during the JFK assassination? Seriously. You know, like, you remember? It's like, what? You know, like, is that guitar? Like, it just blew me away. That said, I I was a little more fully formed because I was older. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the time I taught guitar at Ceremony Shopping Center. Mm -hmm. You know, and in the back room, right? And I had like, you know, like uh, blonde highlights and a feather earring, you know, (laughs) whatever. Like weed before the uh, lesson. Sure. And I had like 10 lessons in a row. Uh And a lot of guys like wanted to learn finger tapping. Uh And I was like, huh, I don't know how to do this. And so I was kind of staying like two, three pages ahead. But it wasn't what I did. And I was like man, my style became like antiquated Uh really fast, (laughs) you know, because there were auditions like, well, play Eruption, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. and 
I my influences were before that mm-hmm. happened, and and yet, like I totally respect it. Like every guy you've named um, was a great guitarist. Yeah. Um, but I was in. I got into like. Uh, you know, I was into like Django Reinhardt. I kind of mm-hmm. discovered him in high school. Um, Roy Buchanan. I liked Eric Clapton, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of corny to say now. But at the time, like, oh, yeah. you know, he was way better than most everybody else. And that was uh, Van, Van Halen's favorite. He would say that, that's right. what got him. It is weird. Yeah, it is weird. I'm so glad live. Like, yeah. I do not hear the connection. I don't either. I think it was um, really early. Um and then it, later it was more Alan Holdsworth, although he kind of, you know, he really did his own thing. But Yeah, and, and Holdsworth yeah. was around that same time, too, which I, I still yeah. really enjoy Holdsworth's, uh, the Believe It record with Tony Williams. Yeah, um, oh, love that. But, yeah. okay, so I'm, like, going, geez, like, I I play, you know, I think I started mm-hmm. playing a telly. And what happened was I heard Ohio mm-hmm. by the Pretenders. Yep. Yep. Do you remember that song? And some guy was playing, I don't know, I forget the guy's name, Telly. And it was kind of swampy. And I heard that. Is that uh, James Honeyman? Well, Scott? no, it wasn't that guy. It was, he, he had died, oh. I think, by this time. Okay, he was the original and guy. Yeah, it was like, hey, oh, hey, Ohio. Yeah. 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 And I heard that, and I am like that guy teaching at Ceremony Music, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this might happen. Mm. Like, this got through. And it's not like I didn't like all those bands you named, because I did – but I could never really feel it, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like I just wasn't cut out of that leather. So it kind of came back enough to where my style wasn't like I was, a, you know, guy was an accordion and a monkey. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> like, so, but yeah, I was listening to, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just was really, really uh, uh, digging all the time, you know, like, uh, even when I was like 12, like, um, and I've told this story a lot, but I was buying records based on the length of the track. Mm. Interesting. And it didn't matter who it was. Okay. If it was like 20, 25 minutes, I'd be like, okay, I'll buy this. Who is this? And I got Larry Coriel, um, Barefoot Boy. I got hmm. a John Coltrane live in Japan. Mm-hmm. I got a John McLaughlin devotion. And yeah. I'm like 12 years old. Oh, wow. That's fun. And, and there's pretty good records. Very hip for 12 years old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I look back at the 12-year-old and I'm like, huh, that's kind of impressive. Um, but that's yeah. how I found it. And then, like, I knew I liked this. And then so I think I heard Chet Atkins. I don't know. I must have been 19 or something and mm-hmm. was really liked it, you know. So that's how I found those players. Sorry to go on and on, but it was. Yeah, I know. That's great to know. It was like being blindfolded in a room you never were in. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's so interesting, too, because you, you were tapping into things, pun not intended, <laughs> that were kind of being ignored in a way. I think. Because 
you know, uh, Van Halen and Randy Rhodes. It was this new sound. It was this new way of playing. And I think for a lot of it, it really, it, it was wonderful, but it, it also overshadowed a lot of what else had, had was happening and what had come before. Uh, a lot of the players you name, I, I had seen those names in Guitar Player Magazine. And I remember reading about Roy Buchanan and there was some overlap because, you know, Jeff Beck was somebody that everybody was yeah. still a fan of Jeff Beck, even if you were, you know, oh, into yeah. I mean, I the hard it. rock side of things. And Jeff Beck it was a big Roy Buchanan fan. He had dedicated, a, you know, because so, we've ended yeah. his lovers, was dedicated to Roy Buchanan. So that, so that existed. But I, I, I think for a lot of us, um, yeah, we just did, didn't dive into it until later but it's it, it's great that you re- really focused on this area of music that was kind of being you know being ignored at, at the time i guess you're right but i mean i've seen you play jazz and you bring like all your technical technical ability like like i said the bar was so high like man you had to be uh, like the, at the top of your game to be in rat, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Some of the oh, things yeah. that like were glam or whatever. And, and mm-hmm. not that Testament was, but now you're shredding on, you know, a West Montgomery tune. So, I mean, it all ends up on its feet for sure. But, uh, and I just really just didn't have an aptitude for it. Otherwise, you know, maybe I would have, you know, I actually knew some of eruption, but I, again, I just didn't feel like I felt it, you know, um, you know, we all got to be ourselves. I did a clinic on last, uh, last Saturday and guys were asking me, what did I practice? And I, I said, I usually practice something that's nothing like what I really play like. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, what do you practice? You know, it's uh, it it changes, but I have a collection of albums that I play along to, just favorite stuff that really kind of kicks me in the butt. Like uh, you you mentioned Tony Williams with Alan Holdsworth, for example. Like I that yeah that Tony Williams new new lifetime. There's a couple yeah, of tracks. Yeah, believe it was said in Proto Cosmos and that. Proto, Proto Cosmos is, is so great to play along to. Dun, and dun, it's just. <laughs> yeah. Dun, 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 yeah. And if you can keep track of that time and, yeah, you, you know you're warmed up if you can at least jam along to that and not get lost. Um, and then, you know, a lot. Yeah, a lot of favorite players like. Uh, Matheny and Jim Hall, just because they're, it's so delicate what they do, but it's so creative and their time is so good. It feels like there's a band backing them and it's just them. Um, and yeah, there's a, I have some Wes stuff. I mean, it, it changes. I, I probably have a, you know, a few dozen songs at any given time in a playlist that I'll just sift through and pick to, uh, to practice and jam along to. I'm trying to do more um, hybrid picking too. Um, do you play? Uh, there's a lot. It sounds to me like a lot of fingers, but I know it sounds like you're. There's picking as well. 
Um, are are you more of a hybrid picker? Yeah, definitely. And one of the things I practice that have nothing to do with like anything I play is I play like classical pieces, um, mm. like this book I'm I'm really into. It's uh, Francisco Torrega. Um, mm, nice. And I was I try to play. I mean, they're they aren't super advanced stuff, but. Um, I really like the music a lot of this, of the Spanish composers. Um, I, I, I've been playing this mom, pow, mom, po, I think his name is Federico mom, piece. And you have to hybrid pick, but there's a lot bigger gap. Like, you know, you'll, you'll have to pick like the third string and the first string. Mm -hmm. Um, where before, if I'm playing like Jerry Reed stuff, which is really hard, and I don't, ma I haven't mastered Jerry Reed by any stretch of the imagination, but it's more like, um, you know, pick middle ring, you know, it's, right. or or a triad with little finger, you know, it's it's really organized. Where with this stuff, it's it's designed for someone not using a pick. So I play sure. classical pieces with a pick and my hybrid thing has gotten a little more uh, sophisticated. I think I, my touch is a little better too. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And that's, I've been doing that for a couple of years, I guess. Uh, that's great to know. Yeah. You know, I mean, there'll be some like young, beautiful Russian girl playing classical guitar, like blowing me away, you know? Right. Right. Of uh, course. But I do it on a telly, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. And you're doing it in a different way. You know? Yeah, pretty um, much. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a lot of chord melodies and trying trying to incorporate more of that stuff. It's been more of a recent thing. Not as much with classical guitar, but I kind of want to start doing that. Um, I actually heard Sting and, both Sting and his guitarist, Dominic Miller, interviewed recently on uh, Rick Beato's program. And they were both saying they, that's what they practice. They practice Bach. Huh, yeah, they would right. like, don't sense. ever hire us to play Bach. We play it <laughs> terribly compared to the people who, but it's so great to, to learn and just to study. Cause it gets you incorporating different voices. And it, you know, even if you're not doing it properly, and uh, it's it's very very relatable. That makes sense, especially for a bass player. I mean, and it's mm -hmm. the foundation of Western harmony. You know, um, I tend to lean towards the Spanish composers more than Bach because uh, uh -huh. I don't know. It just sounds like they were really trying to get laid more. <laughs> yeah, like, you right. know, crassly. <laughs> But there's something right. like Chopin nocturnes, you know, you're feeling like a seduction, you know. Yes, yeah. And I think that existed in real life. And yeah. I really like that. I like that aspect of music that's seductive. Um, yeah. Where Bach, you know, is a little less seductive, but nonetheless, like, I'm oh, sure. Thinking, you know, the, the father. Yeah. Western music, but check out Torrega, like Francisco. Torrega. Torrega. Yeah. 
It's really good. Okay, really- yeah, I was going to ask you some names. Yeah, so Francisco Torrega. Um, what about Fernando Soar? But that, Fernando that's- Soar wrote like oh, 10 trillion pieces, and a lot of them are really yeah. great. Um, gosh, now I'm blanking, of course. Um, but, uh, Federico Mompo just wrote – he was a pianist, and I really listened to his music. He wrote one – guitar uh, suite and it was for Segovia and that's really uh, something I've learned one of the pieces uh, yeah. Yeah. oh I'm, I'm blanking now I'm embarrassed but you know we, with Torrego and Soar you got it covered and some of the Soar stuff is really kind of easy like for us right. you know um, uh-huh. us mere mortals who don't play classical guitar like it's doable yeah yeah. I'll think of 10 more names, like, as soon as you don't ask me. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, you can, if you think of it, maybe email, email them to me. Okay. Or uh, I'll bring them up. Um, cool. I, well, I've, I've kept you uh, a little over an hour, so I, uh, maybe we'll start wrapping. I, I could talk, definitely talk to you all day. I could um, talk to you all day, Alex. I mean, this is great. <laughs> I, I, I was looking forward to just getting to know you better. That's why I, you know, I I talked about myself most of the time, but I did want to ask you some questions, you know. and Yeah, which is fine. Sure. Yeah, anything goes. The funnest part of the interview was realizing, like, because I'm a little older than you or a lot older than you, um, you, your influences were different than mine, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess I. I guess a decade or so, right? The influences can be. Where'd you different. grow up? Uh, Berkeley, California. Uh-huh. So I was uh-huh. born and raised East Bay. What about you? South San Francisco, the industrial oh, okay. city. Did okay. you ever okay. run into Charlie Hunter? Yes. So uh, we're both from Berkeley. He's yeah. a few years older, but he was in the same local scene. Mm-hmm. And um, he studied with Satriani. I studied with Satriani, even though we ended up doing very different types of music. What was Satriani as a teacher? Like- oh, unbelievable! I mean, I, it was a little. To be honest, it was a little over my head at the time. Um, it was a few years later, yeah, you because know, I think I, I was like fourteen years old or fifteen, and uh, a couple years later, I. When I was ready for what he taught me, it was it was great. But he just he had just a very very organized system for learning music theory and for practicing and what what not to do, you know, avoiding the uh, flavor of the month. Uh-huh. Yeah, you because know, when I came to him, the big guitar player that everybody was learning was Ingve uh, Malmsteen. Right, know? I like his first record. That first record was great, right? Yeah, yeah I kind of, uh, yeah. It's just, I mean, you know what? He he started a thing, and nobody, to this day, nobody does it quite like he does it. No, I like that but, first record. I listened to it a lot, and also surfing with the alien kind of came around around the same time, at least for me. There's right. a picture of me and Ingve posing with our guitars. And, oh, you're kidding. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. It's like, I look like CGI or something. Next ah, to ah, like ah. they CGI ah. me. 
but it was at a at NAMM show and uh, Fender organized it where they're like pointing our guitars. Um, but oh, and there's amazing. a video of it on YouTube. Like, I don't know how you find it. Jim uh, Campolongo meets Ingve, I think it's called. And it oh, shows I the think he, I think and I've he, seen the photo. I, you posted it, I think. On yeah, Instagram. yeah. I posted it on yeah. Instagram once because it's That's so awesome. funny. And he was really cool, you know. It was like I was like the trillionth person he met, you know. Like, sure. but he's a fucking rock star. And I really, yep. what's that first record called? It's Rising Force. Yeah, Rising yeah. Force. <laughs> and That's I, great. I, I would never guess you're into that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's kind of like clam dip or something or onion dip, you know. It's like. You know, it's good. Uh, yeah. like, how can you know? Yeah, it's, it's different. And, yeah. It's, and the dude is like such a gunslinger, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, he's Ingve. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's great. Phone. You can appreciate that, even though it's like so night and day from, yeah, you know, your real house. I mean, I have a pretty open mind, I guess, about music, but I mean, I can't see how any guitarist wouldn't like Ingve. I mean, mm-hmm. he's yeah. fun to watch. He's a gunslinger. He plays fast as hell. Like, yeah, just yeah. athletically, it's fun to watch him play. It's like seeing some guy do a great, you know, fr- uh, uh, move on the basketball court or something. Exactly. Exactly. Like, the to- the feel is great, too. He's just got yeah, real. Yeah, right? And intensity. Yeah. Yeah. But I also really like Surfing with the Alien, too. That, I thought that was a really listenable record. That was great a jo- record. Jo- Joe Satriani's like breakout. Because he was in a yeah, new was his breakout. called The Squares, I think. Yes. Do you remember The Squares? I, yeah. I think I, I think- saw them one time. I think I saw him one time, and Satriani was doing the job, right? Yep. I mean, yes, being really good, but it wasn't surfing with the alien. Oh yeah, yeah, no, he, he sounded great, and there were a couple moments where you could tell, oh, this guy can really play, but you would have no idea that he had all this music in him that would later show up on those records. Yeah, I have Surfing with the Alien, and I'm going to listen to it later because it's. Cool. I do this like monthly column in Guitar Player called Vinyl Treasures. And uh-huh. uh, yes, that's right. That's right. It's awesome. You know, I, I, I just did, I just wrote yesterday Ben Webster with Strings Warm Moods, and like it's uh-huh. not, it doesn't even have a guitar on it. And I'm like uh-huh. thinking, Man, I better do a guitar thing pretty soon. And oh, I, that, that's yeah. a good record like that could be rediscovered by many people. Because I'll listen to it, but I just sure. remember the tunes were good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did a very different take on instrumental music at that point. Because Ingve was doing his thing, and it was just burning guitar. And Steve Vai had come out and was starting to get some notoriety. But yeah, Joe, he made, he made the songs really like listenable. Yeah. And a lot of yeah, people beyond just guitar fanatics could could get into it. In the same way, I know we were saying goodbye and now I'm talking again, but in the same no, that's way okay. like, we can keep we can keep going for for a bit. Yeah. Jeff Beck's Blow by Blow was like uh-huh. fun for the whole family, you know, and George mm-hmm. Martin yeah. produced it. 
And that's with because yeah. we've had this lovers dedicated to Ruby Cannon. And yeah. I'm not and, and written by Stevie Wonder. Right. And yeah. Surfing with the Alien, I don't think was as diverse as Blow by Blow. Like I don't think it had right. the peaks and valleys. But I'm gonna listen to it again because I remember thinking, hey, these are good tunes, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're almost at the wrap-up point of this episode. Jim and I went on and on. We could have talked all day. So um, I don't have time to share everything. I am transferring some of this material over to bonus footage for Patreon members. Now, I've already got this footage selected and ready to go, so it should already be up on the Patreon page by the time you hear this. Now, there is one section that's going to be up on the Patreon page where... Uh, we get rather candid talking about a few different players that get a lot of attention in the music world. And it's not like we go negative on him. We're just, you know, he's an honest guy, Jim. I'm an honest guy. There's no BS. And uh, we're just rather straightforward with our opinions. In fact, there's one section where he said this can't go in the interview. So I'm not including that. So, But there is some fun stuff on there. Uh, not essential for this main part of the podcast, but some things some of you may find interesting. This brings us to the final clip of my episode with Jim Campolongo. It begins with me showing Jim a Telecaster-style guitar that I received about five years ago or so when going through Fargo, North Dakota. If you've ever been to Fargo or if you've seen the movie or the TV show, both called Fargo, you know the city has a reputation for being a bit odd. Well, it's certainly not as odd as it's portrayed in the Cone Brothers film or the TV series, but it's got a lot of character, and this guitar reflects that. Uh, it's made of reclaimed wood. It's got a quirky record as the pick guard, and I was so grateful to receive this as a gift. The guys at the shop were fans. The business was thriving at that time. Unfortunately, since then, we've had the pandemic, which has hit a lot of small businesses really hard. So uh, Nick Gruber, the luthier, had to relocate to Minneapolis. He still has his Instagram page, Gruber underscore guitars, and still has a website. So I hope he gets back to building soon because his instruments are really cool. So uh, it begins with me showing this guitar to Jim, and then Jim is going to demonstrate a cool thing on his guitar. I just wanted to show you this real quick, too. This is um, my other Telecaster. Not an actual Fender Telecaster, but uh, it's from. it was a gift from a builder in uh, Fargo. I like it. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of great. It's got a – isn't this cool? It's really quirky, and it's got a vinyl record ah, attached to it, is. and it's uh, chambered. And, it's, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I was sort of reminded of – I need to – Play this more, but it's, yeah, I like it's a great it. little uh, instrument. And um, before you go, can you just tell me about the um, – there's a crazy tuning lick that you do. I mean, you do it in a, in a few songs, uh, but there's one, Helen Keller, or one, but where um, you're just you're oh, doing that, this yeah. crazy um, thing with the, the tuning peg.
either tune this down. Oh, you know what? Watching you down, watching you down a mud puddle. Oh yeah, yeah. That one doesn't have. Oh yeah. That I'm, like what the hell are you doing there? <laughs> like the solo yeah, yes <laughs> so that's just down to a the four chord b the so i'll go bum 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 you know to go back to e it's really simple like, wow and you're able to get back in tune enough you know yeah i mean okay so the hard one there's e and i'll you know one thing a tip and I know you can't see this, like if you're listening, but uh, I make sure my tuning pegs like at three o'clock. Oh, okay. So you don't have to like t move your arm ever. Like I could. So oh, that's okay. it. Sure. And I'll test it, and I'm picking right by the bridge. Bees oh, easy. Then. And I'm back to E. I think that's what I did on that. Oh, that's so cool. Thanks. I mean, it's pretty simple. And, and now my tuning peg's back to three o'clock, which, you know, that's it. See, I'm, I'm kind of more practiced. Yeah. But how can you set where that is and have it be in the tune, the tuning you want? Like, you can say, okay, I'm well, going to set it to three o'clock, but you can't really control where but the pitch no, is, you just get a feel yeah okay you yeah i guess if you're gonna bend if you're gonna bend it anyway that's yeah yeah that makes sense so that's that one oh that's so cool and then what's the uh, there's like a helicopter sound you have on a couple tracks um <laughs> You know which tune I'm talking about? Um, the. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty easy. Um, that's all right hand. And you know that there's a like a Smith song called, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's like got a great vibrato on it. Like, dun, 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 yeah. like now is then or time is now or something. Anyway, I wanted a vibrato sound on these damn Fender amps. The vibrato is always wimpy, right? You're like, come on, you know. It's like you don't. It's yeah. like you can barely hear it. So I tried to get the sound of vibrato manually, uh, even though vibrato is really something like this. It's like a tone thing, right? Yeah. Yes. Like it's really good vibrato, but I'm doing it manually. But. So there's no delay on that. Yeah, just but get, that's get, just get, right here. I, I play it where it's like late, so it's like it sounds out of sync because vibrato yes. is out of sync. So that's okay. That was that. I noticed that that was the Helen Keller song, I think, on the yeah, yeah. live at Rockwood. Yeah. yeah, yeah, hard rock. Yeah, and that's pretty rock. I mean, that kind of really goes into rock territory. And there is some oh. Van Halen stuff that does that. 
some well, of, you know some of the Van Halen rhythm and stuff. With going like back forty five minutes, my solo on the studio recording on Orange. Um, I, mm -hmm. I, I on the live record we did it again, and it's a little trippier, for lack of a better word. Um, but it's kind of Randy Rhodes ish. Oh like, yes, yeah. Um, because when I was given lessons in Ceremony, I was learning some of those uh, Ozzy, Randy Rhodes things for students. Oh, and I would say I still play, like, think, you know, I don't think of him, yeah. but, you know, you know, like, yeah. with minor. Um, so, yeah, you know, anyway. Yeah, I had made a note of that because I had heard on, on Orange that same yeah, song. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know what? Parts of this really seem like hard rock in a way, but sounding like yeah, yeah. you with your tone yeah. and the telly, you know, small mm -hmm. amp vibe. Um, and that, you know, the helicopter thing, the only other person I thought of that does something like that, Billy Gibbons has some stuff. I, I haven't heard him do it, but it, I was approximating the guy with the Smiths. I forget his name. The Smiths. Johnny Mark. Johnny Mark. Johnny Mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Because of the vibrato sound. And I heard he had like two or four Fender Twins and he had guys in the control room changing the settings for that. Yeah. Like, wow, wow. Yeah. And, you know, it was my, you know, humble attempt to get that kind of effect. So. Yeah, because you're doing it manually. That's, that's the difference. Because I think ZZ Top did something like that, but it's a delay. Yeah, and um, and I think that, yeah, this the Smiths version too. Okay, well that that's great to know. Well, thanks, Jim. Okay. And th Any, anything I think else? that's it, man. Those are my two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. So this is great. I mean, I, I had enough stuff the first hour, but like now it's it's just going to be golden. So I'm excited to put this together. Well, let's keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely. And there we have it. Thank you, Jim Campolongo. I had a lot of fun putting this together. It was nice to have fun. Not that the Jeff Beck episode uh, wasn't very meaningful and creatively satisfying, but obviously it was very somber. And uh, this episode just had a lot of laughter and uh, felt good. Also, good to follow the Jeff Beck episode because uh, there's so much that relates to Jeff Beck. The Telecaster, Roy Buchanan. Interestingly, I had heard a rumor of Jim Campolongo and Jeff Beck being distantly related. <laughs> I had to follow up. Jim confirmed that is not true. He said he wishes it were true and pointed me to a 2019 version of his column for Guitar Player Magazine, Final Treasures, with a great write-up of Blow by Blow. Check it out. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media, hosted and produced by yours truly, Alex Skolnick. Osiris production by Kirsten Cluthy and Matt Dwyer. Original music by Alex Skolnick, including this track with Nathan Peck and Matt Zabrowski. And artwork by Mark Dow. Of course, thank you listeners for tuning in. And thanks everyone who gave the warm feedback regarding the Jeff Beck episode. That was a bit of an undertaking with four different interviews and a lot of research. Uh, the next few episodes are going to be less of a burden, so uh, they will happen faster, I promise. Anyway, thank you once again, uh, Patreon members. Thank you especially. And uh, there is going to be extended footage of this interview on Patreon, as well as my um, behind-the-scenes footage writing the new Trio album and lots of other goodies. 
that is it for now. I will see you all on the next episode. Thank you once again. Take care and be safe. Osiris. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. Features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Hi, this is Henry K host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music, because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.